Welcome to the Substantial Life podcast, hosted by Jok Foster and Pierre Leroux. Today, we will be discussing a flourishing life. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome everyone to our discussion this week on human flourishing. Last week, we discussed goodness. We discussed goodness as being to follow the purpose of a thing. So a good soccer player is someone who realizes the purpose of being a soccer player, which is to score a goal. Uh, We also discussed the goodness of, for example, a tree, which is to grow and to reproduce. This week, we will be discussing on what does it look to live a good life as a human, because we as humans are significantly more complicated than trees. So we live in a time which claims to be scientific. So what's very cool is if you go on many news websites, you will have articles, psychological articles that will speak about well-being. They might do a study of the well-being of students as they exercise. But often, in these articles, they do not define what well-being is. If you would go into a class where they would study well-being, they will tell you it's not very clearly defined. But they do have some sort of general idea of well-being. Pierre, what are the ideas of well-being that people typically have? So if you sit in a health science class or in a psychology class or... In, in any philosophy class that has to do with, with science or with health, then you will usually hear that they speak in certain broad categories of what they mean by well-being. They'll say, say well-being is a certain state of a healthy emotional state, a healthy physical state, or a healthy social state. But if you ask them what they mean by health, usually it'll end up to some extent to mean well-being. And that just shows that there's a bit of a difficulty in grounding what we mean by well-being and what we mean by health. But I hope that in this podcast, me and Job will make clear what we mean by health and well-being as a certain achievement of the good. Often if you read these articles, they define what they mean by well-being at the beginning. That makes it nice. So that just shows you there's not a broad definition for this. But if we look at the good as being the achievement of a purpose of a thing. Now, let's think about the purpose of humanity and the purpose of humans and individual humans. So Aristotle gave a very good um, distinction in his Nicomachean Ethics where he said, the good of something is based on how it is different from everything else that is like it. So we as humans, for example, we are animals, but we are not like all the other animals. So the good of humans would be in a sense based on how we are different from other animals. And we differ specifically, I would say, in our rational capabilities. Now, we don't mean rational as many people today mean rational. So yes, rationality includes thinking and thinking clearly of things and arguing and all of those wonderful things. However, what we mean by rational goes deeper. Rational entails our self-reflective ability as human beings. And what I mean by self-reflective is our ability to think about our desires, which we have for certain things that we either see as good or which is actually good, as we've discussed in previous episodes, and then to will to pursue these goods. And our intellect or our rational faculties can decide to either pursue this and use the will to pursue these goods or not to pursue these goods. 
And what we mean further by rational is this entire state of affairs, this entire way of being a human being, which makes us different from being animals. And in that, that would include when we say we are rational, we also mean that we are creative and that we are emotional and that we have many other faculties which are all included in rationality. Yes. So, for example, animals, they only care for eating and reproducing and then some sort of environmental safety, you know, from the sun or from the rain. Or So we as humans also have this physical component together with the rational component that Pierre just discussed. Although we do not look at reproduction and eating the same way animals do, due to this fact that we can also think and decide and be creative. Yeah, so think about let's say a giraffe or a lion or a cat, they think about eating, being in a safe environment, and they're also reproduction. But for us as humans, because of our rational faculties, we're reflective and we, we desire more than just this. We don't just want to, as many movies would state it, we don't just want to survive, we want to thrive. And that's getting to quite a true part of being human. We, we don't just want to eat, we want to eat good food. Sometimes if we have more than just the desire for food, we have, let's say, the desire to look well or to be healthy. So we won't just eat food, we'll eat healthy food. Or sometimes we're emotional and we want to eat to help us feel better. So now, different than some animals that would see food eat, will go, well, I feel emotional, so I want to eat, let's say, ice cream or a chocolate, you know. And then let's say another example would be reproduction. Different than other animals, we don't just want to reproduce, we want to procreate. We want more than just reproduction, we want family. We want an environment in which to raise children. We want a place that is safe, a place that is caring a place to love one another. As we spoke earlier, loving is willing the good of the other. So when we're in these romantic relationships, we want more than just reproduction. We want a place that is loving. And then from this, you basically get many other parts of human society and stuff like that that comes in. So the idea of flourishing is to actualize all these goods. So in the same way in which a tree can flourish, by being a tree as good as it can be. So in the same way, a person can flourish by actualizing some of these goods that we have just discussed. So when we achieve these different goods or actualize them, then we become a flourishing soul. Aristotle speaks about the flourishing soul in two virtually interchangeable ways. He speaks about it as a self that is marked by self-understanding and purpose, so a person that's marked by self-understanding or purpose, or it's the activity in accord with virtue. What Aristotle is saying here about that a good life has self-understanding and purpose shows us that in order to flourish, in order for individuals, in order for communities to flourish, they must understand themselves deeply and they must also know where they should be going. It is good to know where you are going, but it is also good to know where you should be headed. For example, a school, knowing that its purpose is to educate young people and to teach them good character. A school which has the self-understanding to know that it is not breeding education and character in its pupils, would be able to change their organization according to this purpose. 
We as individuals need to do the same. We need to have self-understanding, which helps for constant corrections. And we need to have purpose to know where we're heading. As Aristotle spoke about these certain forms of character and as Job spoke about character, that's to a large extent what Aristotle means by virtue. So another way of thinking about virtue would be to think of it as a certain form of excellence. So when we speak about these excellences, we speak about there's a certain type of thing that we as humans do, which is good. Let's say somebody wrongs you and you decide to forgive them. And that would be a good thing. And when you do it excellently, we'll say, well, you're a merciful person or you're a forgiving person in today's lingo. So in that sense, we, will, we, we can come to understand what Aristotle means by his second way of speaking about a flourishing soul. A flourishing person is somebody whose activity is in accord with virtue. And virtue is basically living a certain way in which you always, or most of the time, achieve the good. So basically think of a virtuous person as somebody who is marked by a certain form of temperance. So somebody who has temperance would be somebody who doesn't spend too much of their money or who doesn't eat too much. All of these are what Aristotle spoke about as his means. Now, the, the mean in this sense is not to be understood as the middle, but rather just the right amount. And of course, there's a few things where there isn't just the right amount, like adultery. There, no amount is the right amount um, in, in cases with certain vices. And... That's the old-timey way of speaking about virtue and vice. Virtues are when you achieve the good. Vices are when you warp them. Remember when we spoke about good and evil? Good is achieving our ends, our, our purposes, the stuff we, we should achieve or the type of thing we are. When you don't do that and you go against it, then it's certain evils. And when we apply that by our free will, because we can think about our desires and our actions and we then decide to pursue these good desires and pursue these good actions and do them. And we do them on a certain amount of times. Then we become virtuous. It is important what Pierre is saying here that the flourishing life is one dictated by good habit. We do not flourish by doing good things occasionally. We flourish by doing good things continuously. In achieving these virtues and then achieving a flourishing life, we must have self-understanding as Aristotle spoke. And this self-understanding makes us realize that, well, I have certain desires and certain ends and those certain ends or those purposes are what I should be going after. And when I do this regularly, I achieve virtue, as we said. Now, part of this would be self-understanding as a social being. We're the type of stuff to be in relationship with other stuff like us. We're the type of people to be in relationship with people because that's just the type of thing we are. And one of the purposes of human life is to have relations and relationships with other people. If, if you might think, no, but I'm not social or humans aren't really social. There are other animals that are significantly more social. Firstly, most animals are not at all able to have a global community of 7 billion who interact with one another. I mean, the very fact that our histories and our ideas and our economies interact, interact in such a complicated way shows how social we are. A male lion 
does not interact with the history of other male lions. He merely lives his life. Also, if you would think about animals such as ants, which are extremely social, their social structures aren't nearly as complicated as ours. Even if you think about some people who would say, well, I am asocial or I am not a social pe I'm not a social person. Individuals like this would still go to a supermarket. If you go to a supermarket in order to get food, then you are a social being. You're just not admitting it. Or if you're using a computer or reading a book or posting on social media, you are social because you're using technologies and ideas made by other people. So this shows that human flourishing is fundamentally social. And that is why Christ summed up the goal of human life excellently when he said two things. He said, love thy God with your whole heart, soul and mind and love thy neighbor as thyself. We will speak about love thy God soon. But when you speak about love thy neighbor as thyself, there is a twofold thing in that. Just as we automatically desire the good for ourselves, we should do that for others. A person who is stuck on an island would struggle to be a truly flourishing individual. For one, we would immediately see, well, this person is lacking something in being human. They're lacking other humans. Or the guy that's stuck in a cave, he's lacking something. And that would be because we're social beings. So to truly have the flourishing life, so to have a life that is full in the pursuit of these virtues, these goods that are being pursued on a constant basis, without this social component, we wouldn't be able to be virtuous. We wouldn't be able to have certain virtues. A man cannot be merciful if he's not in relationship with other people in which to be merciful towards or loving towards other people if there aren't other people to love. That is why we want to encourage you to love those around you. That means using your human reason, creativity and will. So in other words, thinking about what is good for the others, choosing what is good for the others and being creative, being able to see a solution when there is none necessarily there yet. Animals can only see what is. We as humans can see what can be and we can act on that. If it is true, as we say, to love is to will the good of the other and we are social beings, that means that the best society is the one in which people love one another. In fact, I would go so far as to say no society could exist if it does not pursue the goods of other people in that society. So the individual must also pursue the goods of the other people around him, therefore love his neighbor. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to have a society in the first place. And the best flourishing society would be the one in which those people around both love themselves, so they pursue their own goods and they, they are becoming virtuous people and they pursue the goods of those around them. They love their neighbors. So they love themselves and they love their neighbors and they love their neighbors as much as they love themselves. And therefore you would be able to build the best flourishing society. Often when people think about a good life, they think of many other things than love. Or if they think about love, they only think about one specific kind of love, romantic love. For example, people would often think that a good life is one where you earn enough money so that you can get by or become a billionaire. We might think that someone who is extremely wealthy is flourishing. That cannot be the case because wealth is merely a means. 
Wealth is only a way in which we get good things. And wealth is only valuable insofar as it helps you get good things. If your wealth stops you from getting good things, then it is an evil. In Dante's The Divine Comedy, it's an Italian poem about a man going through hell, purgatory and heaven. He sees people in hell who lived a life of avarice, that is the love of money. He describes them as people pushing a boulder and then pushing this boulder in circles until they crash against one another and then they shout against one another and then they keep on pushing the boulder. That is how the life of seeking money is. It is exhausting and useless. It's basically somebody who confuses the primary goods with the secondary goods, as we've discussed in our first episode. The person decides to take what they use to get stuff they really want, like money, in order to be able to get food or to get a house or things like that. And they, instead of pursuing stuff like good food and a good house and being able to go where you want in the country, and they decide instead of pursuing these things, I'm going to pursue the thing which I use in order to get what I really want. And if you think about it that way, you can see how it's actually quite silly. And yet we end up doing it so often. Yeah, and the same problem comes in with pleasure. Pleasure, rightly put, is when you feel good when you did something that is good. So it is good to feel pleasure after loving someone. It is good to feel pleasure after you have been good to yourself by eating healthy food or by exercising. But it is not good to feel pleasure when you destroy something for no reason. In fact, pleasure has this wonderful and yet horrible paradox that it leaves us with. If you pursue good things, then you will feel pleasure. But if you put pleasure as the thing you're pursuing, then you will never get pleasure. Because pleasure isn't a thing in itself. You can't go out and say, oh, I'm going to get some pleasure. Oh, what are you going to do? You're going to go out and do a set of things which are good in order to feel the pleasure. So at no point can you really pursue pleasure as a thing in itself. And there is actually a biological mechanism in our brains that stops us from only pursuing pleasure. It's called the hedonic treadmill. The idea is because pleasure in our brains is a release of a certain chemical, our brain builds resistance against too much pleasure. So if we experience a lot of pleasure, our brain builds resistance so that the next time we do that same thing, we don't feel as much. And that is why pursuing pleasure is even in, ingrained in us to not be the goal. It's merely a means. It's merely helpful. And so the virtuous life or the flourishing life is one whose pleasures align with the good. And sometimes because of how limited we are as human beings or because of some things that have happened in the past to us personally or stuff like that, you might end up not feeling pleasure when you're actually doing something which is good. That's why the pursuit of pleasure is so dangerous. Because if you put your end as pleasure, you might be pursuing evil things that just appear to be good in the moment or appear to be good according to your society. Instead of pursuing what is actually good, and two other ways in which people construct their lives is the idea of honor and fame. Honor is when you live so that people look up to you in your society. So you live good according to the values of your society and you receive honor. Examples of that might be scientists or doctors or lawyers uh, in terms of uh, jobs. But the problem with honor is it's again confusing. Love is the purpose, the, to desire the good. We honor people because we think they are living good lives. 
But if you pursue honor itself and not being, for example, a good doctor, you are wasting your time. But this is funny because the entire Roman society was built on the idea of honor and fame as well. Fame, on the other hand, and glory is a more depersonal, is a more impersonal way of looking at it. For example, a celebrity or a sports star, that is where you get some sort of general good, people say generally good things about you. But this is also not a satisfying life because there is no peace of mind that you can find in glory. Just look at the lives of those who are in positions of great honor and great glory. If they do not seek the good, they shrivel up. That brings us to love thy God. We believe as Christians that there is a God and that we are made for relationship with this God. So the truly flourishing soul would be one which is in relationship with God and in right relationship with him, in which we pursue the goods that are given to us in order to be a flourishing soul. Because in the Christian understanding of God, God himself is both the foundation of this goodness, but also because he is without limit, the one that desires the good of all human beings more than any human being could ever. And we are called in the Gospels to be holy as God is holy. So he is our example for how to live. For example, Jesus says the rain falls on the good and on the evil. That means God gives good things to people irrespective of whether they are good or not. That's how we should be. We should love those around us even when they are intentionally harming us. Christ himself set an example for us by dying on the cross for people who loved him not in the least. He said, what good is it to you if you only love those who are good to you? Can you see how this can be the foundation for a flourishing society? A society merely based on reciprocal goods, in other words, I'm only good to you if you are good to me, cannot be a global community. It cannot even be a nation state. It can only be a very small tribe. And it will be very selfish because as soon as you hurt someone, they hurt you back. And that just the violence escalates. But if we follow Christ's example and love those who hate us, then that hate can be overcome. And because we also believe that this life isn't the only life there is, for good reason, we do not say these things merely easily. And if you feel that there is no reason to believe God exists or bad reason or bad reason to believe there is a life after death, please send us a personal message. Send us your questions. We will definitely discuss them in the podcast in the future somewhere. Uh, it is too important to skip. Aristotle, when he wrote the book on virtue, basically, he found it very difficult to understand why is it that people who are just as smart as he is and who know what the good is end up not doing it. I don't think we have to spend a very long time in introspection to realize that I know what is good, and yet I chose not to do what is good. And this is the big problem that has boggled quite many great minds through history. And I would submit that that is what is revealed to us within Christian scripture and within experience. And that's the idea that although we know the good, we end up failing in achieving it. So we might end up to some extent achieving some good, but ultimately we end, we end up falling short of perfect virtue or this truly excellent 
flourishing life. That's why Job and I would submit to you that the truly flourishing life is to love thy God with your entire heart, soul, and mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Because in our love for God, we believe that he ends up changing us, and he ends up helping us for where we as human beings, because of our finitude and many of our places where we lack, he ends up filling them, and he ends up helping us in order to achieve a more flourishing and a more good life. And then from this fullness we can achieve in relationship with God, then we can act in loving ourselves and loving others. And to help us, as the Gospel of John says, the Word became flesh, the one who basically is the expository of who God is. Jesus said to one of the disciples, you ask, show us the Father. And in this part of the scriptures, Jesus basically points out that he is the he is the image of God. He came to show us how the Father is, to show us how we as humans should be, and gave us an example according to live, according to which to live. Oh, there's so much more we're going to discuss. Uh, we are very thankful for that. This just shows you as well that your religious perspective has great influence on your idea of a flourishing life. So to ask, what is the purpose of, no, of religious faith, or why should I ask these questions, it has a big influence. Um, and we shouldn't look down on our religious view, which inevitably influences our moral view. In the next episode, we will be discussing a book by Sam Harris, a famous atheist. He wrote a book, Letter to the Christian Nation, in which he argues that the Christian faith is an immoral faith. We will be looking at his moral idea, his idea of flourishing. We will be comparing it a bit to what we have discussed. And we will go into his book. We, me and Pierre spent quite some weeks reading it together and discussing it and doing some philosophy on his book. So we are quite excited to do that. And we hope you have a good week. Thank you for listening to the Substantial Life podcast. If you like this episode, please share this episode, leave a comment or ask us a question on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. You can also leave us a review wherever you find your podcasts. We will answer questions we receive from our listeners every episode. And remember, seek wisdom wherever it might be found.